Hello, podcast listeners. I'm bringing a special episode today. I clipped the audio from one of my deadlift and low back pain seminars I did about a year and a half ago. And there's bits of it where I do a lot of hands-on portions with the groups. I'm also gonna drop the link in the show notes if you wanna watch it instead. But regardless, a lot of great info in this seminar. So without further ado, here we go, the deadlift and low back pain seminar. So before I get started, um, just to get it like a sense of the room, who here has deadlifted with a barbell? Okay, well, almost everybody. Um, and out of all of you deadlifting with the barbell, any of you experience low back pain doing it or like something just doesn't feel right or maybe you just, you just don't get it? Okay, so a lot of time. Okay, so this will be really good. So maybe um, in the hands-on portion, we might just go right into the barbell deadlift because I find a lot of times when people go to gyms, they see people deadlifting and they're like, oh, okay, I'll, I guess I'll do it too. And it just doesn't feel right. And a lot of times when we're seeing the aura members come to the clinic and, you know, I, I usually just ask them, like, what hurts in the class? Like, deadlifts. So I'm like, okay, well, let's see your deadlift. And it's usually not anywhere close what it should be. And it's like switching like one or two different things. And out of nowhere, they're like, this feels a lot better. And I'm like, yeah, that's all you got to do. Sometimes people kind of get worried that it's one of those exercises that it's going to, you know, make things worse. But it's actually the reverse. It's like, it's a really good exercise to kind of bulletproof your body. And I always kind of use that terminology with clients where I want to make you bulletproof so that when you go pick up your kid, you're not out of commission for a week and you have to call into work saying that you hurt your back picking up your kid. But uh, anyway, I'm going off topic. We're going to get into this thing. So Rafael Majeshevsky, that is my name. If you don't know who I am, I have a unique kind of placement in this uh, gym where I work for Aura as one of the coaches, an educator, and also doing all the social media. And then also I work for Restore where I partnered up with uh, Sarah where we've kind of been bridging the gap because a lot of times when I've been training clients, someone gets injured, I'm like, yep, you should go see Physio or Cairo. They go and then, you know, they get an exercise like, you know, clamshells and bird dogs and they do it wrong at home or they can't even remember what it is and they don't really get better and they don't know if they should go back to the gym just yet and maybe the Physio or Cairo doesn't really understand exercise and they just think like, every trainer throws people into burpees and like running on the treadmill until you're crying, but that's not true. There's some good coaches out there. So when Sarah and I met, we're, we decided that we need to kind of bridge that gap and get people better faster. Uh, so that's what I do with Restore along with their social media as well. And then this is a selfish plug. I have my own podcast called Cut the Shit, Get Fit, where I interview a lot of coaches that I look up to every week and get their thoughts on you know nutrition, fat loss, strength, powerlifting, whatever, sometimes Netflix series if we have time, but uh, great resources if you are into podcasts. Um, so the title of my presentation is How to Deadlift and Squat Without Effing Up Your Shit because a lot of people should be squatting and deadlifting, but at the same time, they don't really know what they're doing. And I've seen some really fit individuals in this gym hurt themselves back squatting and deadlifting. And when you ask them certain questions, they have no clue what I'm talking about. So it's great to, you know, and get that going. So you'll see a lot of this kind of stuff online and people think this is okay. And you're just like, no. So one of the coaches that I follow, he has something called a shit test. So if something smells like shit, looks like shit, most likely it's shit. So anytime you're in a gym and you look at an exercise and you're just like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's right. You're most likely right that it's wrong. And a lot of people do this over and over again. They end up like this guy where they have to like drink water over a tap with a hurt back and it's super embarrassing. Um, so you're probably asking yourself like, what should I do? So step one, anytime you're in pain, like don't try to like, go on Google, like, how do I fix my back pain? Like, go see a chiropractor like Sarah. She doesn't do this, but, like, I'm a huge fan of The Simpsons. And, like, that was, this is how I do my presentations. Like, before even putting information together, I look at GIFs and images and then see if I could plug it into a presentation. So a lot of this stuff is going to pop up throughout this whole thing. 
Um, and the second kind of portion when you kind of figure out what's going on with your body when you see a chiro or physio is to get a movement assessment. And that's where I come into play. So anytime I get a new client, I want to see how they move. And I use something called the functional movement screen where it kind of places your body in positions where it's supposed to capture pain. And if I capture pain in those movements, that's again, I'll refer out to Sarah to be like, hey, this person in their overhead squat had pain in their right hip. See if you can figure that out. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't work out. There's just some things that we need to address first before we you know, load the pattern. Then the next step, that's Sarah assessing me. Anyway, um, step three, there's always prerequisites. I always use this word for um, clients where if you want to be able to deadlift, you have to meet a certain criteria. So I kind of make the example where, you know, you're in university and you want to get your four-year degree. So rather than going into like intro to psychology 101, you take the highest level course, you're sitting in there, and you're like, what the hell's going on? And you fail the course. So you want to have certain prereqs in order to be able to deadlift pain-free. And one of the tests that I sometimes do is getting people to touch their toes. And a lot of people can't do that. And it's, there's more to it, but essentially it's like, if you can't touch your toes, what gives you the right to go all the way down into a deadlift position and lift weight off the ground if you even can't get there? There's more to it, but that's just a small little example I like to give to people to make them you know, understand what's going on. So I have kind of like a check mark list of what you need in order to deadlift. So the first one is having enough core strength, right? So things like doing front planks, side planks, anti-rotation exercises are great to build that core strength, not only in the front, but like when I say core, like I'm talking about this whole area, and a lot of people waste their time doing crunches that don't really give that bang for your buck, and when you go into something you know, advanced like a deadlift, those crunches that you've been doing over and over again are not going to cut it like this cat. Right? It's just, this is, this is how people usually look when they do crunches anyway. So it's like focusing on more functional core stuff that will build a resilient body so that when you do um, grab a barbell, you don't kind of collapse forward. So the next thing too is having enough T-spine mobility. So your thoracic spine up here, in order to actually deadlift, you need to be able to extend. And a lot of people who sit all day at a desk are like, here all the time. And I always tell this to clients, like, again, sitting's not bad, like Sarah said, but the average person, they sit while driving to work for 45 minutes, they sit at a desk eight to 10 hours every day, then they go back into their car to drive another 45 minutes, and so now they're eating dinner sitting, now they're sitting on their couch watching Netflix for the rest of the night, do that five days a week, three decades go by, and you're like this, and now you wanna go deadlift. So a good example of someone having bad mobility is like Drake when he got into deadlifting and working out, just he just can't extend through his T-spine. So that's what usually happens. So now if you layer on top, poor core, bad T-spine mobility, that's how deadlifts usually look. The next one is actually engaging the lats. So with T-spine mobility, if you have enough of it, you're able to engage these guys here. But a lot of times also people think they're engaging their lats by like, I'm going to squeeze my shoulder blades back. But that doesn't really get this entire section of your lats to actually engage in order to extend up properly in the deadlift. And then the last thing is having full hip extension while having your glutes engaged. So a lot of times when, again, that average person that sits all the time, when I get them into the gym, they can't extend their hips all the way. So when I get them to do glute bridges, they kind of get stuck to a certain spot, and then they can't get these guys going. So they'll usually feel hamstrings or like low back. So now we got to figure out a way to give more hip extension in order for them to deadlift. And like one of the things I like giving them in the beginning is glute bridges, but finding a way to you know, get those glutes activated and then eventually progress into like something like a hip thrust. And I have this rule when people do glute bridges or any kind of hip thrust is not to look me in the eye like this guy because it's super creepy as you're thrusting your hips forward. So that's like gym etiquette 101. Don't look at someone directly in the eye when you do hip thrusts. So if I had to create like a progression of where I start with clients, I kind of go through this. So if someone was brand new and does not understand the difference between hinging their hips or 
squatting forward, I want them to practice learning how to do this over and over and over and over again until it's just like ingrained that into their head that you know when they go to pick something off the ground, they're not going to do some weird thing to lift it up. They're going to just automatically go boom and then pick something off the ground. From there, that's where I would go actually learn um, how to like lift something off the ground. But it's really interesting. Like talking to Sarah about this this week when we were prepping for this presentation, it's like even when I coach clients deadlifts and they do it perfect, like we'll finish our fourth set of 10 reps, their deadlift looks spot on, perfect, and then they go over to the water fountain and they're just like this. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, we just practiced this. So it's like, now that gives me information of like what they do every day. Because a lot of times in the clinic, we'll see people come in with complaining about low back pains. I go, what did you do? I picked up my sock. Like, that's a heavy ass sock that you just picked up. But it's because of that bad habit. It's just, you know, in my head, I'm like, if I can teach someone this constantly, then maybe when they go pick something up, they'll kind of have that in their head and they can go grab it without hurting themselves. So with the deadlift, what I kind of want to do today is maybe just start at the barbell so people can feel a little bit more confident. But again, a lot of times people feel like they have to do the barbell, but sometimes like your body might not be designed to deadlift properly and we just need to find something else. Because a lot of times we'll get into the presentation later, like everyone has different hips. Everyone has different stuff going on and maybe we just have to elevate it. Maybe we have to turn your toes out. Maybe we got to put your feet closer together. It's just finding what works for you. Um, so maybe what we can do is actually move the chairs out of the way. We'll do a small warm up because I don't want people going into um, you know, something cold like this. So let's slide the chairs out of the way and uh, do our thing. What I do with clients all the time is um, something called CAR. So this is an abbreviation for controlled articular rotations, which is a fancy way of saying we're going to move our joints to the way designed. So a lot of times when we see patients, this is what I give them, and it looks kind of dinky, whatever, but when you start moving the joints the way they're supposed to, you tend to feel better, right? So we're sending like synovial fluid, blood flow, nutrients to that joint, and I kind of describe it as like we're flossing our joints. So in the beginning, it sucks, your thumbs are bleeding, but down the line, if you keep flossing, your teeth will improve. Same with our joints. We're going to build the integrity of our joints. And then from there, we can add some more complex movements. So we're going to kind of work our way up all the way down the line from each joint. Before we start, does anybody have any injuries I should know about? All right, what, what do we got? OK. All right, so this is where cars go super important. So you never want to go through pain. You want to go around it. So the way I describe it is we're drawing a perfect circle with our joint. Say you're going and you hit tightness, maybe even pain, go around it. So I want you to create a buffer zone. So here's an example. I have a client right now, super, super shitty shoulder. And this is a shoulder car. Best case scenario is that's how it's going to look. For him, it's this. That's pain-free. And that's what I want because what we're doing is we're promoting a response back to the brain that this is a safe pattern to do. If you're constantly going through pain and it feels like garbage, your brain's going to remember that and tell you to F off and make things worse. So don't go through pain. Everything should be pain-free. If it's tight, that's okay, but create a buffer zone. So we're going to start with our necks. All we're going to do nice and that. Uh, Slowly. Again, speed's not your friend, so go slow. Neck is going to come down nice and slow. We're going to go to the left and make a big, big, big circle around to the right. Come back down, and then we're going to freeze in the middle and come back the same way we came. So we're going to do three rotations there and back, nice and slow, and try not to move anything else other than your neck. And then when you're done, you can awkwardly look at me, and I'll give you the next one. Yeah, or you can do the creepy eyes like the guy hip thrusting. <laughs> so the next one we're going to do our uh, shoulder blades. So the next one you're going to have your hands on your pants the entire time. So I want you to think of sliding your hands into your front pockets while bringing those shoulders forward. Then from here you're going to slide your shoulders up towards your ears. Now you're going to bring your hands towards your back pockets and bring those uh, shoulder blades together and they're going to slide down. Then we're going to reverse the same thing, nice and slow. So 
Yeah, so you don't want to bend the elbows. You want to keep them locked out, keeping the hands on the pants. So we're going to go there and back for three, nice and slow. And again, if there's pain, create a buffer. Don't go through it, go around it. What crunching? Crunching's fine. <laughs> I mean, something's working. <laughs> So after three, what we're going to do is our thoracic spine. This one takes a little practice, and a lot of people don't really get it. So watch me before you start doing it. You're going to cross your arms in half just like this. And what we're trying to focus on is bending from the top here and not our low back. Because a lot of times when people do T-spine cars, they try to do this. But what I want to see is this. And what we're going to do from here is we're going to slide to the left, extend back, Rotate around to the right, come back down to the center, and then reverse right back. So we're drawing a giant circle once again with our spine. And something that can help is if you squeeze your bum to lock this out, because a lot of times people kind of hinge at the hips and they might get into this position. So remember, just the upper portion of your spine. Give it a try. <laughs> if you're lucky, you might get a few cracks too. And we're nice and slow. Don't go through pain. And breathe. <laughs> All right, I feel like we've done three. Everyone's just, they're still, they're still going. So what we're going to do is shoulders next. So what I want is your left hand to go on your right hip. And this is going to give you feedback if you start rotating your whole hip and torso. So watch me first before you go. You're going to have your right hand out, thumb straight. And from there, you're going to reach up as high as possible until you hit that first roadblock of tightness. From there, you're going to start rotating the wrist and thumb, then elbow, then shoulder coming all the way down. And now my thumb is behind me. Now we're going to reverse the motion nice and slow and rotate right back to where we first started. What I don't want to see is this. And I've seen it, and people think they're doing it right. So try to suck the shoulder down and try not to use your neck or hip or anything funky like that. So let's give it a try, three per side, nice and slow. As you're going, the one thing I want you to remember is a lot of times when people get out here, this is where it's tough, they'll just kind of drop really quick. So when you get to those tight spots, slow it down even further. That's going to give more feedback to the body of what's going on. Again, there is a learning curve to it, and a lot of times I'd explain, like, if I gave you a whole dance routine to learn, and you had to do it fast, it'd look pretty ugly, but if you slowed down every single movement, your brain would have enough time to understand what you're trying to get at, and then it's gonna look clean and perfect. Have we done three per side? Yep. Okay. <laughs> So for those who are done, next thing we're going to do is hip cars. So ideally, if you can grab like something like this, the squat racks, so you can be in a single leg stance. You can also use the wall that we have in the back. We would just have to move the benches. But something just solid that you're not going to fall over on. So we have like a lot of pillars over here if people want to hold on to them. Just make sure you can see me. <laughs> so what we're going to do for hip cars, we're going to go right hand holding on to something and left hip working. So what we're going to do, your left hand is going to be on your rib cage so you have room for that leg to move. So what we're going to do is you're slowly going to drive the knee up as high as possible. It'll drive the leg out to the side rotate the hip, and now this knee is going to continue around drawing the circle, so that knee meets the other knee, and then from there I'm going to reverse, open up, and drive the heel, and come back down. We're going to do three per side. Again, this one does take some time to, you know, get things going. Sometimes it's going to feel awkward, but the slower you go, the better it is. When in doubt, just think of drawing a big circle with your hip. What I don't want to see is when you get to those tough parts, you're rotating your whole body. 
There is a chance that your hamstring might cramp if you're trying to extend so far back and you don't have good control of your glute. Your hamstring will kind of take over and it'll feel like it's, you know, betraying your body, but that's okay. So again, three per side and then we'll get this going. So yeah, grab a dowel and I'm going to explain what we're going to do and I'm going to come around and Sarah can do the same thing. Um, and this is a quick assessment that I stole from Dr. John Russin, in which I thought was super brilliant. If we're running out of dowels, we have more, don't worry. We got a couple more there too. So this next one, so Sarah and I will kind of split everyone up. What we're going to do, because we've all kind of played around with a barbell deadlift, this is what I do with clients to kind of find their depth, is we're going to hold on to the dowel and we're going to pretend like it's our barbell. And we're going to slowly go down to a deadlift. And what we're going to do is we're going to come around and put our hands on your low back. And what we're going to do is my fingers are going to be together. And the moment they spread apart, I'm going to tell you to stop. And that's going to be where your deadlift uh, depth should be. So it's a really easy way to figure out if you are, you know, going too far, too low, whatever it may be. And then you can kind of have like a mental note of like, okay, I'm supposed to stop right before my knee bone. I'm supposed to stop right before, right after my, where my patella is. And then when you're in the gym, you can actually elevate your deadlift where you're supposed to go. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so Sarah left me, so I'm going to try to do as many as possible. <laughs> I'm coming, I'm coming. Right about there. So just memorize that small line. Did you did you feel it want me to do it again? I think so. Come back up again and do it again. Nice and slow. About there. Yeah. Same thing. I got you. So whenever you're ready. Right about there. Memorize that line. So come back this way. So nice and slow and try to keep the dowel sliding down on your, right about there. Yeah, I'm coming. Um, so come back up. So you're kind of getting into that squat. I want you to see more of a hinge. Almost like think of bowing forward. That's better. All right, so come back up and we'll do the same thing. Right about there. Yeah. But again, like this can change because when we actually place a barbell, you might be able to go a little bit lower whenever you're ready. About there. Yeah. Yeah, so memorize that imaginary line. Before we get started, a couple things that I always see that people do um, as a mistake with the deadlift is when they get to it, they're way too far back. So what I see a lot of times is, you know, barbells in front of them and they're like this. So now when you deadlift, the fulcrum of the whole movement becomes your low back. The moment you slide it in towards your shins, now the majority of the weight's going to go through your hamstrings and glutes. And that kind of bulletproofs that whole idea of, you know, I'm not going to F my shit up when I lift this thing. So with that in mind, that also goes down to one of those points that I made to get lat activation. Really hard to get lat activation over here, but when you pull pull it down this way. That's how you get your lats engaged. So let's try. Who, who wants to go first and we'll go one by one? <laughs> All right. So, okay. So what we can do, um, what I usually get people to do does take some time, but we're going to do it anyway. So we're going to put a couple 45s. All right, so get towards it, even closer, even closer. There you go. So if you look at like powerlifters that are really, really good at what they do, they are super close to the bar to the point where you're going to feel like you're going to scrape your shins. So a lot of times when people get over that fear that they're not going to scrape their shins, the thing that happens is on their way back down, they'll start doing this. They'll kind of want to miss their knees. And again, now we're getting back into like, oh, I feel my low back and not my hamstrings and glutes. So it takes a lot of practice to kind of get over that fear. But um, let's reach down and just set up and don't pull just yet. How does that feel so far? Good. Yeah. Tight. Yeah. So if you feel hamstrings just kind of like giving you feedback, that's okay. But like already her position looks so much better. 
And if we had it on the floor, something would have already have compensated. It's usually like this, this is what happens. So to get into a good position to actually lift it, a lot of people make the mistake of, all right, this is heavy, I'm going to yank. Whereas I want you to think of pulling it in, breaking the bar in half to get those lats engaged, and then thinking of like old school leg press machine where you're trying to push the weight away from you, but your whole body is stiff. So when I get clients deadlifting, I tell them I want you to squeeze the crap out of that bar like you want to break it. So same thing for you. I want you to squeeze it super tight and nice and slow, just drive it up, and we'll see what we got after that first rep. Yep, all the way up, and then back down nice and slow. Yeah, so that wasn't too bad. So the next kind of layer, how did it feel? Good. Okay, so the next kind of layer I get people to do is now that we have... You know, the distance pretty close, we're squeezing tight, we're breaking the bar, is now want feet placement. So what I get people to think of is first you're putting your heel in, big toe in, and then the rest of the toes. So now we're kind of like a tripod into the ground. We're rooted and we are not gonna move anywhere and now we have our arch kind of activating. And then the next layer after that, what I get people to do is thinking of pushing their feet out this way. So the moment you do that, you feel this turn on. A lot of times, this is another way to create that tension. Because a lot of times when I see people deadlift, they kind of lose it at one point. Like they'll get super tight, and as they come up, they kind of they kind of lose it. So as much as possible, if we can create more tension in our deadlifts, then you kind of bulletproof yourself again not to mess things up. So for this next one, squeeze, break in half, feet are rooted into the ground, and as you're coming up, you're pushing your feet out this way. And breathe. <laughs> and then back up, and then back down. Perfect, so like, that looked amazing. Like, you know, if she was my client, it'd be like, awesome. And we'll practice this, and like, again, it's not heavy, but the form is perfect, and I want people to get really comfortable with that, and then maybe three weeks, four weeks, five weeks from now, add another set of tens on there. And then as this gets easier and easier, and we're building that weight up, and most likely, if you continue training and your body's moving better, let's now drop 145 on, let's get less weight, and then build up from there. It's a constant like build up, recover, build up, recover. That feel good? Awesome. Who's next? Awesome. Were you guys were about the same imaginary line? Yeah, and then I thought Andy and I would we end up sharing bars anyway. Okay, fair enough. So before you go, I want this to be tight. Yeah, there you go. Squeeze super tight. And good. So what for you, like what I see a lot too is if you guys didn't see it, she kind of likes to keep her toes up. And like this is a thing that I've seen for years where people want to like, I need to feel my hamstrings. So like going onto your heels, yeah, you're going to feel your hamstrings. But as the weight gets heavier, I see a lot of times people losing balance if they're putting like everything back here. And then over time, it becomes a bad habit. And sure, you can see some progression, but over time, you're going to hit a plateau. So now you have to retrain this bad habit and kind of go back to square one. So it's always good to, you know, this is why I like training general population from like brand new is teaching them those good habits so then when they want to get strong you just it's automatic it's quick so just like we said before I want you to think heel toe the rest of the toes and then keep it tight and also on the way down try to keep it tight towards you and try not to lift it over so already you can move further forward with your legs get tight up here Squeeze the bar like you want to break it. And then don't be scared to come all the way up. Yeah, so a lot of times people will forget to do that and they kind of stay in that hunched over position and that again brings more tension onto that low back. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but again, there's, there's more to it. And if I was being really picky, so come back down. Like, there's something going on here that she can't get that last little, like, extension. Like, I don't know, what, what do you see? Yeah, so... Uh, it's not necessarily... I'm not really seeing a lot of... It's not in pain. Like, it feels great. 
it's just like I'm being picky and I'd rather see it a little bit more neutral. So if I saw that with a client and like we've already elevated it, I would go, you know what, let's try sumo deadlift. Because then now that's going to make you a little bit more upright. Yeah. So for a sumo deadlift, I want you to go wider with your toes out a little bit. And then when you reach down, I want your arms to go inside the knees. And a lot of people, when they get into that position, they kind of want to do this. But again, if you want full glute activation and extension, you want to push your knees out and keep that position where the knee's kind of right over the ankle and squeeze super tight, bending the bar, and then driving it up. Then come back down and try to keep it tighter on the way down. Like that already looks better in her low back. So now it's like, okay, we found that this stance is better. And again, it's like a lot of people, and you can stop, um, just see that you know everyone's doing conventional deadlifting and they're like, that's what I'm gonna do too. But maybe there's something going on here that you don't even know about that when you go down there, it might not feel bad right there and then. Say three months down the road, you go reach for something or you go deadlift and then your back's like, mm-mm, that's not cool. Boom, something happens. That's where you know coaching comes into play to see those small things. And it's like, maybe we do an assessment, maybe you go see Sarah and figure out why this is not functioning properly. And then now we have more pieces to the puzzle to figure out what's the best stance and approach to your deadlift. Which is not bad, like we can elevate it, but like right now it's not too bad. But the one thing I'm kind of curious about is your low back in this position. But okay, so go for it and then come back down. Yeah, keep going, do a couple more. Do you ever get low like soreness in your back? And good, so. This is a good example, like she looks in a, like a good strong position, but like do you get usually like sore like right here? I do. Yeah. yeah. So she doesn't know how to use her hip for extension. She's using her lumbar spine for extension first and then the hips. So this is really common for like yogis or women who are really um, mobile and flexible. Um, so. One of our yoga instructors, Camila, right now is uh, learning how to be a coach. And we went over the deadlift for, with her for about a three hours. And I, like, right off the bat, because I knew she's really, really flexible. I'm like, do you get low back pain when you deadlift? She's like, every single time. So when I saw her deadlift, like, one, she gets here, and she's literally like this the entire time with her head up. And when she comes up, it's her low back first to extend and then her hips. So it might be just, like, cueing that I don't want you to extend through here, but more through the hips. Um, go again, and when you're um, driving up, like really, really, really squeeze on the bar because I want this to be locked. Yeah, like yeah. to the point where you break it, but don't break it. We need these. Okay. Yeah, and get a little less arch there if you can. But keep your head down. This way or this way? The other way that you just did. Yeah, and try to keep tight. Take a deep breath in, hold it, and then drive up. That was better. So maybe her issue is actually learning how to turn on her core. Because a lot of times when people deadlift or just do an exercise where they have to think about it, they just like they just don't breathe and they don't create intra-abdominal pressure. So this kind of goes back to point number one, having a strong core. And having a strong core all starts from breathing. Right, so when we get um, low back patients, a lot of times I'm teaching them how to breathe. So much of, so many of us kind of breathe through our chest, and then we don't use our diaphragm. And when this starts working better, your hips get a little bit looser, and those hips kind of get that low back to kind of settle down. So when I think of powerlifting, those powerlifters, the reason why they don't have their discs like shooting across the floor when they deadlift is they know how to use their diaphragm and pelvic floor. And when you have these two working properly, they kind of compress it down into like, you know, your core muscles into this kind of canister. And a good example that I give people is like if you took a Coke can that's not open, you step on top of the Coke can with your whole body, it's not going anywhere. The moment you open it, boom, it just crushes down. So a lot of times, like, powerlifters will use the cue of 
get fat. So I want you to breathe in through here, hold that tension, and then drive up. If you can't keep that tension, weird stuff will happen. So like with you, really quickly, is like breathe in, hold, and then drive up. And like, yeah, so sometimes what I tell patients and clients to do is like, if you're at home and you can't fall asleep at night because you're like thinking a bunch of stuff and you're on your phone looking at Facebook, go one hand on your belly, one hand on your chest, and all you're gonna do is breathe into your bottom hand. So you breathe in and then exhale without that top hand moving. But a lot of times people go and then back down. So it's all through here. And that's kind of the first step of learning how to breathe. And sometimes it's just that one thing. Cool? Any questions on breathing, core, activation? No? Who wants to go next? Okay, let's do this thing. So let's bend your knees, like get into that position, yep. Squeeze tight. How does it feel being in this position? Okay. Okay, so what we can do, we can actually add another 45 pound plate because that makes it a little bit easier. Um, yeah, let's play around with that. Yep. So again, like if it's super painful, then we can, uh, oh, thank you, thank you. We can also use a thinner bar with the fives. Um, they just kind of drop it. I see that with clients all the time. They're doing really well through all their reps. On their last one, they just, I'm done, right? So people just, I don't know why they do it. They just, they just do it, right? So that's why creating tension, keeping that tension in your body the entire time is super important. Because when, you know, if I told you to pick up a 100-pound dumbbell, you wouldn't want to be like, okay, let's go pick it up now. You'd want to, like, brace yourself, squeeze it super tight, and then drive up, right? But for some reason, when we're deadlifting light, because I want to teach the pattern, they feel like they're able to just like, yeah, I'm done now, I can just throw it down. So that's why like even on your last rep when you're putting it down, it should still be perfect just like if you're about to do another rep. And that's another good cue that I tell people is like some of the best powerlifters in the world that are really, really, really strong, they can learn the feedback that their body's giving them that if they did one more rep, they would get injured, right? So if you listen to your body more of what's going on, um, you can have a higher chance of not injuring yourself. So like when I deadlift in my programming, I'm looking at how much sleep did I get and what's the quality of sleep, how's my stress been during the week, and how much volume have I done already for the week. And, and good. So a couple things. Kind of like Annie, when you came down, you're here. So if you can think about almost finding neutral with your spine and before you go taking that deep breath in, hold it for a second and then drive up and then on your way down, same thing, try not to put it over your knees. Almost think of literally like sliding your hands down towards your knees. Better, yeah. And good. So that was better on the put down, but now what's happening is when you come down, you're doing, sorry, you're doing this with your head. And that's a, a habit I see a lot with people is they're constantly doing this when they deadlift, this with their deadlift. So what happens in that position when you do this, now it's shortening up all this. So now you can't be elongated. Now if you do this, you also lose some power. There's some cool stuff that I've seen online where they do a quick assessment of someone lying on the ground face first, and they're just trying to drive their heel up into someone's uh, hand. And with the face down, because now your spinal cord is nice and straight, they were able to resist against the person. Putting their head up and trying to do the same thing, they lost some power. So if you're thinking about you know, increasing your deadlift as you're getting stronger and you're constantly doing this, you know, I would like to keep it packed down. But again, it also depends on the situation, right? If you were an Olympic weightlifter, yeah, they're here all the time. If you were, you know, powerlifting, yeah, I would kind of want you to have a packed neck. And for the most part, general population people, like, you don't need to keep doing this. Go to, like, if someone's really, like, struggling with 
um, their deadlift, then maybe start there. And if it feels like way too easy, then it's like, okay, maybe let's go a little bit lower. But it's all trial and error, right? Whatever feels better, that's where you want to kind of go. But let's straighten this guy out. Do a couple more. Like that looks pretty good to me. Like how does it feel? Yeah. And good. Okay, perfect. No pain, no nothing, no, no tingling, no. <laughs> yeah, so like. All I've been doing is just a kettlebell, like a lighter kettlebell yep. from Physio Cairo, and I was even yeah. struggling with that. Yeah, so like a lot of times, you know, that's where I start with clients. It's like after I teach them how to hinge yeah. with just their bodies, like, yeah, I'll go to a kettlebell. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, like, you know, there's exception to the rules, right? So. Sometimes I like just going from here because maybe someone told me like I really want to learn how to barbell deadlift and I'm not going to tell them no. Um, sometimes like the kettlebell when I get them e either from top down or top up, mm -hmm. like having them here they don't they can't like get to this. So it all depends on the person. But like to me like that looked really good, and you know, 65 pounds that with. Felt great. And yeah. I've been struggling with the 25 pound kettlebell. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Like totally and like. Say this is where it comes back to like listening to your body. Say you did this for one week and it felt great and the next week it's like it felt like complete garbage. Maybe elevating it one more time. Like after like three forty five it gets kinda of tedious to keep like putting them back on. But you know, using two plyo boxes, like the ones that actually have the inches written down, like the ones that we have, like we have, you know, a twelve inch, six inch or eighteen inch, like just going from there and just learning how to hinge. So like one of my buddies who moved over to Hollywood to train a lot of um, Hollywood actors for films, he got to work with um, Bradley Cooper for American Sniper. And he had to put on like 60 pounds of muscle and he wanted the guy to deadlift. And uh, I remember him telling me that Bradley Cooper's toe touch was literally this. Like he could not go any further. So he's like, how the hell am I gonna get this guy deadlifting? So he used the trap bar, which is another option. And his trap bar deadlift was usually to here and back up. But he got Bradley going up to 600 pounds, and that's still a good you know, feedback and stress into the nervous system to get stronger and to build muscle. Like there's no rule that you have to go off the ground. And a lot of people, when they see the deadlift online in the gyms, they're like, I have to go off the ground. But if you ask yourself, like, why do you want to go off the ground? You're just like, I don't know. The only reason why it's like this is that when weightlifting went into the Olympics, they had to figure out how much distance they need the bar from the ground, that if the lifter lost the barbell and came crashing down on them, how much clearance they need for their head not to get crushed in. So they measured people's heads, and on average, I think the bar from the ground's like 11 inches. So if you put your head underneath, you won't get crushed. And then they made sure that the, all the uh, plates were in that diameter to have 11 inches off the ground. That's the only reason why. So elevating it, you're still going to get strong. You're still going to build resiliency. So why not, right? Any questions, thoughts, concerns so far? No? Does anybody else want to jump in that I haven't done? Yeah. I have a question. Yes. What do you, what do you mean, like shorter this way? Um, again, it's like you don't have to do the full bar, right? Like. If you were Olympic weightlifting and powerlifting, I'd be like, you know, you have to stick to the full bar. But if you want to just get stronger hamstrings and glutes and get strong in the deadlift, why not? Right? Also, there are bars that are thinner because sometimes people have smaller hands. Right? And again, it's like you don't have to conform to what the rules are. Like that's just like throwing a square peg in a round hole, like trying to like just get it in there and it's not going to work. So there's no like as a coach, I would not tell a client like, no, you're not using a short bar. Right? But it's like, in my head, like if you wanted to challenge yourself down the road, because eventually you can't pack weight on the shorter bars because it's only so long. So you might hit a plateau 
And then when you go move on to the longer bar, it might feel off, right? But if it's like for single leg deadlifts, why not? And that's something else is like sometimes with clients that just can't do the barbell deadlift and it's hurting their back and it's just getting really frustrating, I'll switch them to a single leg. And a lot of people can get that and you get a little bit more bang for your buck. Because when you look at functional training, we are all creatures of one leg at a time. We're never like this, unless you're, I don't know, playing darts, right? Like, and every sport's always on one leg. So it's like, why not train like that too? Yeah, there's always options for people. You don't always have to conform to what you see. It's just learning what those things are. Yeah. Any injuries I should know about? Uh, well, like a year ago, I hurt my back up a thing. So okay, this is going to be perfect. Okay. <laughs> don't be scared. Okay. Yeah, I was with a trainer, and I was working out. I, like, did the kettlebells, and I worked up to a bar, mm -hmm. and then one day, it was after, like, four or five months. Before I, you left it? Um, so let's go feet closer. So this is another good point. Um, when people are trying to deadlift, sometimes they go too wide. So if I asked you, I want you to jump as high as possible, would you want to do this? You'd get pretty close with your feet to jump up. So if you look at the deadlift as a power exercise, you generate more power, you want a smaller base of support to kind of get that. So sometimes just switching that will make a huge difference. But yeah, so that's a little bit better. Um, reach down and don't pull up just yet. There's a couple things I want to do. So head down, try to keep it neutral. And let's try to get this together a little bit more. Yep. And then squeeze super tight like you want to break it. And then try to drive up. And then come back down and then stop there. How did that feel? Okay. So like it's in your initial um, point of lifting, your position was like this, right? So you kind of want to have a more of a neutral base with your spine and reaching down. But another thing I see a lot of times when people have a really good lift up on their way down, they'll sometimes kind of slide their legs forward and then come here. Right? It's kind of, again, a weird habit that people do. It's this like, kind of weird, I don't know, stanky leg thing. But again, this comes down to practice. right? Like if you, again, going back to that powerlifting um, analogy I always bring up, if you ask any powerlifter that's been doing it for decades, they'll tell you that their deadlift's not perfect. Right? So if those people are saying that they can always improve, again, like for general population, like there's always ways to make it better and feel better and look better. But uh, let's do a couple more. And same thing, like squeeze the bar super tight. Think of getting a deep breath in, keeping the head neutral, pushing the feet out. And then when you're ready, drive up. And then come back down nice and slow. Yeah, so that was a lot better already, right? So if someone's deadlifting on their own, they don't really have someone watching it or you don't film yourself doing it, you don't know if you're doing it correctly. Now you're just building an old bad habit. So now every time you deadlift, it's just a little bit off. So it's like back pain doesn't happen like this. It's usually it led up to it. So a lot of times it's, you know, bending over to pick up your sock, bending over to pick up your kid with a rotation with bad um, form. And then you go to the gym and, you know, you've been deadlifting forever, but with kind of off form, it's kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back. Right? So the more you can reinforce good patterns and good movement, then you kind of, again, bulletproof yourself to get better at it. But again, that was already better. Like It's just a small little things. Um, yeah, so for you, it's like if you had your like camera, you'd be able to see it a little bit better. But it's just like if you're able to, again, engage the lats by pulling the bar towards you, that's why I want people to get it close to, towards them. And when you're pulling this, this can extend a little bit more. This can stay flat. And then again, when you're bending it in half, it's more lat engagement. Pulling this out towards the side. Deep breath in, hold tight, and then drive up. Then you'd have a good deadlift. You can try it again if you like. Yeah. Yep, squeeze tight.
and good. So that was already better. The one thing, if I had to be super picky, because I think it's because like your brain remembered that you know I hurt my back, that initial movement, you're kind of shifting forward because you don't know if it's okay, and then coming up. Like when you hurt your back doing the deadlift, wh at what point was it? Was it the lift off, like the um, first little bit? Well, it hurt the next day. Okay, so, was one yeah. of those. Yeah. yeah, so like it might just be one of those habits where like your back is trying to like protect you from injury again, but it's just like reinforcing that this pattern is safe again, doing it over and over and over again, maybe just staying at this weight, and now like you know two months down the road, let's try adding a little bit more weight and going from there. Yeah. Yes. So on that, when I tell clients, it's like if you're getting sore down here, we got a problem. If you're sore up here, like mid back, I'm okay with that because a lot of times when everyone's been sitting like this all day, and I'm asking you to extend your spine in perfect posture and hold the weight and be super tight these are just turning on and like those small little stabilizer muscles in your back are now, you know, getting a little bit stronger. So if you're getting sore up here, I'm not too worried about it. It's the moment it gets like down here and it's like deep and you're like, yeah, I did something wrong. Then that's where it's like, okay, we need to reevaluate how we're deadlifting. Yeah, let's do it. I already saw something interesting with this. So let's move you a lot further forward. Keep going, keep going. Yeah, now reach down for it. Yeah, so before you go, if you guys can see it from the side view, like there's something here that I'm like, as a coach, I'm like, yeah, there's something going on there. So let's drive up and then come back down. How did it feel off of three? How did it feel off of three forty fives out of the two? Uh, yeah, like again, if I had to be picky, there's something here that's kind of like stuck. And I've seen clients with like my client Kim kind of has that same like so like jammed up. So when I train clients, I try to get their movement patterns pattern so I can improve. And one of the things I do is the cat uh, camel movement, but one segment at a time. So our spine with all the vertebrae that's kind of stacked on top, like every single one should have interdependency about seven to 10 degrees. And then when I get them to think of like, I want you to unravel your spine like L5, L4, L3. And then some people will start, start here and they're like, boom. And it's like, well, what happened to all these? And sometimes people are trying to think about like unraveling their spine and they're just staying in that position. They're like, am I doing it? And I'm like, you're not even moving. So Something like that, like a corrective exercise could help. It could be some other stuff. Like this is where a lot of times when clients think trainers are like gods of movement and rehab, but I always tell clients, I'm like, you know, maybe I can figure out what's going on, but I can like totally be wrong. And then you go to a physio in Cairo, they're like, oh, that guy's an idiot. So I always tell people, I'm like, I'm like glorified like PE teacher, like to be honest, right? Like. Yeah, sure, like I've been in the industry for a while and I can see patterns of people, but it's always easier just to go to like someone like Sarah and she'd be like, that's your issue. Boom, done. Uh, do you have a problem this issue? Okay. What I see on him is that his body is protecting, like it's kind of in spasm, but like, like, like Raph said, I guarantee he has a lot of global movement through his spine, but no real specific individual movement through his low back. Um, and that could just be his body protecting him from injuring his, his possibly already irritated disc. Um, so whether or not we can like work on that for treatment or something like that, like, again, it would be hard to know right now, but uh, he needs some extension for sure. <laughs> yeah. Back. So in that case, would you know do this exercise, or would you? Like, so. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. So like the one thing like if I was training you as a client, I would actually move away from this for a while 
and go to single leg and see what happens. Because a lot of times when we go onto one leg and now we're working specific hip stabilizers, maybe something's going to open up and be like, hey, this feels better. Now I'm going to give you a little bit more freedom back here. And again, it's like a lot of people like this exercise over single leg stuff because it's more of a meathead exercise and it's easier. But when I get someone on one leg with weight coming down, like there's so much more that's happening. So you're like not only working your uh, glute, your hamstring, your adductor, low back stability, like there, foot stability, ankle stability, there's so much more happening. And when you get really good at that, like things start just clearing up. So you can use dumbbells, kettlebells, barbell if you have really good balance. But it's like I'm more impressed with people who have more single leg strength than you know, a heavy deadlift. Because it's like, I always ask people when they are married to an exercise, I'm like, why do you want to do that one? What's the purpose? If the purpose is to get strong glutes and hamstrings. There's like 80 different exercises to do that. But again, it's like, it's more satisfying to see all the plates on the bar and throw that on Instagram and you get all these likes. But if you do, you know, a single leg, everyone's like, man, whatever. But most people struggle just standing on one foot. And now getting really good at that and adding a load to it is a whole nother animal. And again, that's another way to bulletproof your body. Yeah. All right. Any other questions people want to try? Yes. Um, so whatever leg is coming back, I would have a contralateral load, so the hand holding, yeah, with a kettlebell, dumbbell. I like kettlebells more, only because mo- like the ones that are good quality, they have a thicker handle. So now you're working grip strength a little bit more, and that will translate to this. Because a lot of times when people are trying to deadlift, they hit a plateau because they can't hold on anymore. And they end up kind of like losing their grip here, and when you lose tension, we're feeling it here, right? So you know, single leg deadlifts might be a great way to, you know, as a recovery, maybe for a phase or two, take away the barbell, go to single leg um, deadlifting. Yeah, so like the front leg would have a soft bend, and like the back leg can be straight, it can be bent, whatever feels more comfortable. As long as you're hinging at the hips and working glute hamstring, then by all means, yeah. Anyone else want to deadlift? Anyone else want to ask questions? Yeah, so when I train clients for single leg deadlifts, I go body weight first because it's like, if you can't stand on one leg, why would we load it, right? So what I tell people to do is like, I like to use hands as a counterbalance, is reaching out towards the front and coming back up. So a lot of people who've done yoga, they are like, oh, warrior three, and they lock their knee out, but I want to have more bend so I can get my hamstring and glute firing. And a lot of times in yoga, if you already have low back stuff and you're locking out your knee, you're just jamming and pulling onto all the nerve endings that fall through that um, back of the knee. So if you have a lighter bend, you can get more glute and the hamstring activation. So for someone like you, what I do, it's a really easy... Uh, maybe go with a longer one. So, again, let's go right hand, left leg out. You're going to, as you're coming back, you're pushing the dowel out and back up. And again, this is another cue of getting lat engagement. Yep. And then back up. Like that looked really good. So I would do this first. This leg is shaking. Yeah, so again, that's like all that feedback, right? And you're working that hip. And again, like the knee joint, I call it the stupid joint because it doesn't have its mind of its own. It's like the hip and ankle are the ones that control this. So we're working both of those joints to keep that knee in line. And then when I look at this as like bulletproofing, again, people, is that this will lower your risk of getting like, you know, meniscus tears, ACL tears, all that kind of crappy stuff that happens, but again, single leg strength and stability kind of trumps all. So on that side, I would have even a softer knee.
Yep. All that shaking is honestly fine. You're not doing it wrong. If your knee was like, like that, then I'd be like, yeah, maybe let's do something else. But nice and slow, right? Again, just like how we did cars, if you went through fast through it, you wouldn't get the benefit of it. Nice and slow will always work. Sometimes I like getting people barefoot, and that's another thing you can do in the deadlift, is you're getting, if you're barefoot, you get more feedback, because our feet are like our hands, right? Our hands are exposed and we touch everything, but a lot of times, you know, with our feet, we're in socks and shoes all day, and now we don't have all that sensory information, so when I get someone barefoot, we're getting so much feedback and all those nerve endings in the feet go right to our hips. And it's like, it's a train of communication. Now with socks and shoes, we eliminate that. And that's why a lot of people get flat-footed, collapsed arches and all this other crap. And sometimes like with some of my clients who have really bad feet, I'm like, let's go barefoot for this one hour. And they get a lot more information and a lot more, you know, strength built just because they're barefoot and they're getting more info. Any other questions, thoughts? No? Everyone's kind of tired, I can, I can tell.